Amen. Good morning, church. Y'all doing all right this morning? I hope that you're doing well. Uh, welcome to Connection Church. If it's your first time here, uh, I want to say a special welcome to you. My name is Blake. I get the privilege to be one of the pastors here at Connection Church, and I get to serve this morning uh, by teaching God's Word. And man, I, I love this church, love, the, love these people. Uh, man, it does my heart good to see y'all here this morning, and so we're glad you're with us. Uh, if you got your Bibles, uh, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, in less than a couple weeks, uh, we're going to be having what we call uh, Connection Family Weekend. And so this is our version of Vacation Bible School. Not only do we want to pour into kids, we want to pour into their parents. And so that is Paul David Tripp. He's one of the best I've ever seen do it, okay? Way better uh, than I would be. He's a guy that you would want to listen to. And so if you're a parent and haven't, if you haven't signed up yet, please man, go ahead and do that. It'll be a Friday night and a Saturday morning, the 18th and 19th. Uh, two hours that Friday night, six to, I'm doing that, my math, eight, six to eight, and then the next morning, it'll be eight to 11. And so anyway, uh, you can sign up on our Facebook page, you can, there'll be a link there, or talk to me after the service, and I'd love to talk to you about that. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive in uh, to God's Word, and so join me in prayer. God, we love you, and we're just thankful to be here, and we're thankful for your son who you sent for us. And we're thankful for your spirit that you put inside of us. And we thank you for your word. And God, we pray that you would work in our hearts this morning, that your presence would be here. God, you'd work in our hearts through your spirit and through your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we are continuing a series called Knowing God. And we're walking through the Jesus Storybook Bible. And here's what we've seen uh, every story whispers the name Jesus. The Bible is a story about Jesus. It's a story about God. And here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We begin a journey together this week and next week on the life of David. Everybody loves David. David was a man after God's own heart. And so this week we're going to see the rise of David. The call of David. Next week, we're going to see the fall of David. But this morning, I, we're watching a movie together. Uh, we're, we're looking at a story together about the call of David. I want to look at three scenes in this movie. Three scenes in this story that we'll see together. And so scene one, the call of David, 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. And here we go. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Notice God already chose one before he ever told Samuel to go. He said, son, just go. I'll show you who I'm choosing. But Samuel said, how can I go? Man, if King Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. It's interesting, a sacrifice seems to get us all out of trouble. Verse 3, invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. 
So Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come to the sacrifice with me. And then consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so here we are. And you got Samuel. And God said, Samuel, go to Jesse of Bethlehem. There's some sons of his, and I've chosen one. And here he is. He's right standing right in front of Jesse. And right in front of Jesse's sons. And here's what happens. When they arrived, Samuel saw uh, Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointing stands before the Lord. Surely this has to be the king God's choosing. I mean, my boy steps out looking like Tim Tebow, okay? Steps out looking like somebody on Men's Health magazine, just just a, a stud. And, 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 and Samuel's like, this has got to be the one. But listen, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height. I've rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things people look at. People look on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. Samuel, you're not looking at what I'm looking at. You're looking on the outside. I look on the inside. I want a man whose heart beats after me, and this guy's heart does not do that. On the count of three, say heart. One, two, three. Heart. That's right. Verse 8. The Je then Jesse called Abinadab, and had pat him passed by in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord's not chosen this one either. And Jesse's thinking, well, good Lord. And Jesse then, then had uh, Shammah. If you don't know how to say Bible names, just act like you do. Just act like you're talking in tongues or something. Jesse then had Shammah passed by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Two up, two down. And Je Je Jesse, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Sa Samuel. Seven. But Samuel said to him, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, uh, buddy, is this all the sons you have? Is this all your kids? And then listen to Jesse. Jesse says, well, there is that runt of the litter. There, there still is the youngest. And Jesse answered, he's tending the sheep. He's washing toilets. You probably don't want this guy. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. I mean, Jesse totally forgot about his other son. Completely forgot about David. He wasn't even there. Has any parents ever forgot about your kids? Ever just totally forgot about it? I remember uh, I left mine at daycare one time till 8 o'clock at night. I was cooking supper. And then I realized, man, they're not even here to eat. And Brandy, she was fired up about that. She loved that. Verse 12. So he sent for him and brought him in. And here he is. And he was glowing with health. He had a fine appearance and handsome features. But then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And so Samuel took the horn of oil. He anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. Uh, scene one, what I want you to write down is one, what, what do we learn about God? One, the call of David. The call of David. What does this teach us about God? Well, it teaches us a lot. A, it teaches us God looks at the heart. 
Look at verse 7 with me. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height. I've rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things people look at. People look on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. Samuel, I'm not looking at what you're looking at. You're looking on the outside. God looks on the inside. Truth. We are a people that's obsessed with the outside. Our outside life, we see it physically. We look in the mirrors. We step on the scales. We watch for the styles and the trends. We see it materially. We are the richest people in the history of the world. You say, brother, I ain't rich. Listen, you're richer than you think you are. Richer than anyone else in the world. We see it socially. We hang out with certain crowds. We send our kids to certain schools. We see it spiritually. We have religious activity in our life. You're here this morning. You're here this morning. And sometimes we worry about more what we're going to wear to church than we do our heart before the God of the church. We worry about religious activity more than a relationship with Jesus. Here is the truth. We serve a God who's obsessed with the inside. He's obsessed with your inner life. He is more concerned about your character than he is your abilities. God cares more about who you are than what you can do. The world looks at your performance. What can you do? God looks at your heart. Who are you really? When no one else is looking, that's what God sees. The motives of your heart matter to God. Why are you doing what you're doing? I was trying to teach Easton to be responsible, and me and Brandy decided a while back we were going to let him do chores, and we were going to give him a little money for it. And that's a good thing. You want to teach your kids to do that. And then a couple weeks later, uh, he came home, and Brandy said, you better make sure you tell them kids to get their rooms clean before I get home. And uh, we walked in the room. I said, Easton, go upstairs and clean your room. And he smiled. He looked at me. He said, you going to give me some money? That's what he said. Easton isn't serving his daddy because he loves his daddy. Easton was going to serve his daddy because he loved himself. Now, motives matter. Why are you doing what you're doing? What's resting behind your obedience, the reason you pray, the reason you serve? Church, why are you here this morning? Is it routine? Connectors, why are we serving this morning? What is our motives? I, I'm a guy who likes to joke. Uh, um, I joke with my brandy all the time, but let me tell you a story. Uh, I, I probably preached two times total about seven years ago. I started preaching, and I remember we were doing a watch night service on New Year's, and I was supposed to preach that night, and a guy come up and asked me something. I can't remember what he asked me, but I remember I said, I got to preach in the morning. I, I got to preach in a minute. He said, you ain't got to do anything. He said, you get to. You don't got to preach. He said, you get to preach. And I was like, well, easy, brother. I'm just, I'm just excited to preach. But, but I'll never forget when he said that. I've never forgot it. I, I messed with Brandy all the time. It was a Saturday night before Sunday. And she said, she said I got to serve in the morning. I said, boy, I'm about to get her right here. I said, you ain't got to do anything. I said, you don't got to serve. You get to serve. It's a privilege to serve God. And I'm just joking with her. But then about two weeks later, your boy was all, I man, she caught me off guard. And, and I remember I was sitting there in the living room and I said, I said, I got to preach Sunday. 
Well, her eyes lit up big. She said, she said, you ain't got to do nothing. You ain't got to preach. She said, you get to preach. In other words, you ain't nobody. I got the Holy Spirit in my life, and I got Brandy. I got both of them, and they keep me straight, and they humble me. And, and anyways, David was an I-get-to man. He was an I-get-to man. He was known in history as a man after God's own heart. That's what I want to be known for, is a love for God, what drives what you do, why you work, why you play, why you live like you do. Listen, when God looks at your heart, does he see it beating for him? When God looks into your heart, does he see his reflection? 1 Kings 8, 39, God knows every heart. 1 Chronicles 28, 9, the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. Samuel, I'm not thinking the way you're thinking. I'm not looking at what you're looking at. Even Saul. Saul didn't work out as king, not because nothing to do with his skill. Nothing to do with his looks. Nothing to do with his strength. It had everything to do with his heart. God says, I look on the heart. Not only does God look at the heart, but B... God will do extraordinary things with ordinary people. This is a theme throughout the Bible. God chooses people you wouldn't choose and does things through them and in them that you could never do and gives the glory to himself. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And this is David's story. You wouldn't have picked David to be on the all-star team. He wasn't even there. Not only was he picked last by his father, he wasn't even invited by his father. But his father's last pick was God's first choice. This is David's story. This is my story. If I could write a book, keyword if, I can't write a book, but if I could write a book, this is what I would write about. I do not belong here. I should not be here. This is impossible, but with God, all things are impossible. I've seen this in my life. I'm passionate about it. It's David's story. It's my story. It is your story. God's not asking you to be awesome. He's asking you to be faithful. And you say, hey, I'm not sure I got what it takes to do what God's asking me to do. No one in the Bible ever had what it takes. What it takes is faith that God will be with me. It's not that God won't give you more than you can handle. It's God won't give you more than he can handle. And if you align your life to God's word, he will give you what you need when you need it. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. And he brings you out of sin and out of something to call you into something to make disciples. And I want you to listen to me. God's plan to move the kingdom forward has never been to use all-star mega pastors with fiery sermons. But to use ordinary people who carry the gospel of Jesus Christ with them everywhere they go. Not only does he look on the heart. Not only does he use ordinary people. But see, what we see is God gives us what we need to fulfill his purpose. Now look with me in 13, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. A divine presence 
He gave him a divine presence. The best thing about David was God upon him. The Holy Spirit lives in every believer, everywhere, all the time. What would change about your life if you understood that as a Christian, God lives in you? You say, Blake, do you believe you're going to heaven? You daggum right, because God's already put the best thing about heaven inside of me. And he's put it inside of you if you're a believer, a divine presence. What would change in your life? Uh, he, gave, he gave David divine power. Because the Holy Spirit brings power to the believer's life. The strongest thing about David was God with him. What would change about your everyday life if you understood that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you? And Jesus said, it's better that I go because I want my Spirit to be in you. And He can give you something that I cannot. Listen to me, a divine presence. He gave David divine power, and he gave him divine preparation. The smartest thing about David was that God prepared him. God went before him. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the people he calls, and he equipped David in a sheep pen, in a sheep pen. He did not waste his pasture. Before he, te before he led in the palace, he taught David how to leave in the pasture. He didn't waste his sheep pen. I remember when I worked for working pest control, and I remember thinking, my life is monotonous. My life has no purpose. And I was preaching, and I was working and killing roaches. You know what I mean? That's what I was doing. It was working pest control. God told me how to love people there. God told me how to serve people there. God told me how to get low because I've been in some lowly homes and I've met some lowly people and he used me there to create who I am today. You want to write this down. God will use the season you're in today to shape you into who he wants you to be tomorrow. Listen, you may think this is monotonous. You may think, man, this has no rhyme nor reason. You may think, man, this is a waste of time God doesn't waste anything. He uses everything for his purpose and for his glory. How small are you thinking? What are you going through right now? What season in life are you in right now? And instead of saying, God, why am I here? Why don't you start asking God, what are you trying to teach me, show me, and how are you going to use this for your glory? And I'm telling you, you'll live a powerful life. Not only does he look at the heart, not only does he use ordinary people, not only does he give us what we need, when we need it, but D, God doesn't need our help. God desires our heart. Now let me ask you, what impresses God? What do we have that could ever impress him? Let me ask you something. If you own a cattle on a thousand hills, it can't be wealth or possessions. If you're all-knowing and understand the end from the beginning, it can't be smarts and education. If you created the sun and the moon and the stars, if you could make the thunder roll and the lightning strike, it cannot be strength and power. If you created the rainbow, the sunset, the mountains, it can't be artistic talents. If you created the songbirds and the babbling brooks, it can't be music ability. The birds sing for Jesus every morning. What impresses God? Isaiah 66, 2. Has not my hand made all these things, declares the Lord? These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble, 
contrite in spirit and tremble at my word. Humility, lowliness, obedience. You want to know what impresses God? Here's what impresses God. A soft heart and a blank check. A heart that says, I'll go wherever. I'll do whatever. I'll go whenever, wherever, however, with whoever. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm going to put a blank check on the table and say, God, here's my life. You use me however you want. And you watch what God starts doing in your life. You better buckle up and get ready. I remember when I got saved, I started praying that prayer. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And God started using my life, a life that's lived for his glory. Have you put your yes on the table? Have you put your yes? On the table. That's scene number one. Now I want to look at scene number two, uh, the character of David. Here's the context God's people, the Israelites, a real enemy, the Philistines, and an impossible challenge, a guy named Goliath. We'll call him Bigfoot. Okay, you got the Philistines on one side of the hill. And then you got Israelites on the other side of the hill. And there's a guy named Goliath. And he's big. You say, how big? I don't know, but he's just big. That's all you need to know. Shaquille O'Neal's big. He's bigger, right? He's a big guy. And he, here's the invitation. Send me a man. Send me a man. Just one man. Send me a man. And if he defeats me, you can have us. We'll surrender to you. But if I defeat him, you'll, just, you'll surrender to us, and that's where the context is. Meanwhile, David is still in the shepherd pasture, still in the sheep pen. He got anointed as king on his lunch break and went back to pasturing sheep. Seven years, and he's in that sheep pen. His daddy, his daddy comes to him, Jesse comes to him and says, David, he said, listen, your brother's in battle. And there's a guy named Goliath, they're, they're up there in battle. I, I, I want to check on him. Here's a bag of bread. Here's some corn. Listen, here's some cheese. I want you to take this, and I want you to carry it to your brothers and check on them. David walks up. He gives that stuff to his brothers, and he sees this Philistine named Goliath yelling out. And then David's like, who's this chump? Who's this chump? Who's this guy yelling at us like that? And here's where we pick up in the story. Chapter 17, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, you see that? Servant will go and fight him. Bro, you got anointed as king on your lunch break. You're calling yourself a servant. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're just a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it. Because don't Jesus leave the 99 for the one? Don't he? Don't you see Jesus in this text? Now listen to me. I went after the one and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defiled the armies of the living God. Anybody ever wrestled a bear? Boy, you couldn't pay me a million dollars, I don't think, to wrestle a bear. But David's a bad dude because his God was with him. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go 
and let the Lord be with you. In other words, good luck, brother. That's what he said. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And here's what David said. He said, I cannot go in these. He said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. He said, I'm used to God being my protection. I'm used to God being my protection. And he took the world's armor off. And he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, Goliath, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He's moving in on him. He looked David over and saw he was little more than a boy, just a 13-year-old boy, maybe a little peach fuzz on his face, glowing with health and handsome, and, and Goliath despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He said, come here. He said, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Translation, I'm about to kill you, punk. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistines' army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there's a God in heaven. The whole world is his audience. The whole world's going to know that God is the God of Israel in heaven. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into my hands. That's scene number two. Now, scene number one, what do we learn? The call of David. Now, what do we learn in scene number two? Two, we see the character of David. What do we learn about David? Anytime you talk about David, the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. What is so special about David's heart? Well, here's what we see in the story. Write this down. A, he is a humble servant. A humble servant. David's a humble man. This is David. He's a lowly shepherd boy. A teenage shepherd boy. He come home at the end of the day smelling like puberty and sheep dung, okay? He's a lowly shepherd. He was anointed king on lunch break and then went back to the pasture to serve his family. And listen, the true measure of a servant is how you respond when you're treated like one. Servant wasn't just what David did, it was who he was, and he would refer to himself as your servant David. He was, listen, a lowly shepherd. He was a humble waiter. He carried a bag of bread to feed his brothers, who didn't really even really like him. He's a humble waiter. He was a willing soldier. He didn't get drafted into the battlefield. He stepped out onto the battlefield, and he said, I just want to serve my God. This is the life of David. This is the life of Jesus. Look with me in Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7 on the screen. Who being in the very nature, 
God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But Jesus, rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. This is David's heart. This is Jesus' heart. Let me ask you, is this your heart? Here is the question. If service is the heart of God, do you have God's heart? Because the best thing that we love about David was he served. And one of the best things we love about Jesus is he served. What is the best thing that people love most about you? You want to live a great life? Be a servant. Because God says being a servant is great. Not only did he have, not only was he a humble servant, but B, we see David, he had a bold faith. A young boy with a bold, big faith. What was his faith made up? David had faith in the small thing. Not just the big things, he had faith in the small thing. When he was in the wilderness, when nobody else was looking, he, he fought a bear and a lion for his father. When nobody was looking, he could have said, hey, not today. Nobody will ever know. Nobody will know we're missing one. I'm just going to sit back and coast. But no, he was faithful in the small things. Jesus was faithful in the wilderness. Tempted by the devil before Satan, before Jesus defeated Satan at Calvary, he defeated him in a wilderness when nobody was looking. Listen to me. If you aren't faithful in the small things, you're never going to be faithful in the big things. Listen, Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much, if you can't be trusted in the little things, God will not trust you in the big things. Man, I need some examples. Do you, do you mind if I talk about money for a minute? Listen, tithing is kindergarten. That's just the ABCs of being a Christian because, listen to me, if you can't trust God with a dime out of a dollar, what are you going to do with the real problems show up in your life? What are you going to do when the real battles show up in your life? Things like tithing or things like going to a small group or community. It's the little things. How can we be faithful to God if we're not faithful to his people? It's the little things that God sees. He was faithful in the little things. He was faithful in the big things. He faced all kinds of things. He was faced, he was faced with fear and dismay. Verse 17 says, when Goliath stepped out, the whole Israelite army shrunk back in dismay. That everybody drew back. Not David. Not David. David showed up and he said, he didn't waver. Listen to me. Not at all. He, he, he showed up. He said, what's wrong with y'all boys? What's wrong with y'all boys? Why are you shrinking back? Why do you fear man more than you fear your God? Listen, he was a faith over fear guy. And he feared God more than he feared man. And that's a lot of times, that's our problem. We fear others more than we fear God. That's why, man, maybe we won't raise our hand in worship because we're worried about what others think. Maybe we won't go down to an altar and pray to God because we're worried about other people and what they think of us. But then you're not living your life. You're letting other people live your life for you. And David said this, I'm not going to fear anybody more than I fear my God. He faced rebellion and rejection from his family. He was a black sheep. 
Listen to me. He faced doubt from his brother. He showed up with a bag of bread to feed his brother. His brother said, whoa, 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 buddy. What you doing here? What are you doing here? Who's tending the sheep? This is the battlefield. Uh, You don't belong here. You're not worthy enough to be here. David said, I get my worthiness from my God. And God makes me worthy. And if God is for me, who could be against me? He faced doubt from his brother. He faced discouragement from Saul. Saul said, boy, you're a young boy. He said, Goliath has been a warrior from his youth. But listen to me. David didn't have faith in David. David had faith in his God. And that's what I love about David because he had God-sized glasses on. And it didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter if it was fighting a lion and a bear. It didn't matter if it was shoveling sheep poop. It didn't matter if he was stepping out on a battlefield. He said, God, I just want to serve you and there's nothing too big or too small to do it. Saul said, David, you don't know how big Goliath is. And David said, Saul, you don't know how big my God is. And you should write this down. Your biggest problem isn't that your problem's too big. Your biggest problem is that your God's too small. And that's the thing about David. He had a big God, and he knew. He got used to God's victories, and he said, no matter what I go through in life, I know my God is with me. You want to live a great life, you be a servant. You want to live a victorious life, walk by faith. He was a humble servant. He had a bold faith. But see, he desired God's glory. He said, God, I want thy glory. I don't want my glory. I want to live for you. He Listen, he had the right methods. He put on the armor of God. He said, Saul, get this garbage off of me. He said, I've not proved this. Listen, I'm used to God being my protection. He put on the armor of God. And you can't fight spiritual battles with worldly armor. You gotta fast and pray. You gotta read the Bible. God's given you His Spirit. He said, Listen, He said, God will be with me. He had the right master. Did you notice He fought in the name of the Lord? And listen to me, that's why we can't do this on our own. God's not gonna create you, then save you, and then let you do life without Him. And listen to me, that's the problem. You're trying to do things in your own name. Stop trying to do things on your own. No wonder there's no power in your life. You fast and you pray. You read your Bible. You lean on the Spirit. You ask God to show you things in your life. He fought in the names in the Lord's name. He had the right methods, God's armor. He had the right master, the name of the Lord. And he had the right motives. He lived for the glory of God. Look with me in verse 46. He said this. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. I don't want you to know there's a man in the camp named David. I want you to know there's a God of Israel named Jehovah Jireh. Now, you want to live a powerful life, you start living your life for for God's glory. You say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I want to be a good preacher. I don't think so. You say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I want to be a good singer. 
I don't think so. You say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I want to be a prayer warrior. I don't think so. But you say this. You say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I want to glorify Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will say, I'm all about God's glory. And I'm all about the glory of Jesus because that's my job, to remind you of truth and to point you to Christ. Isaiah 26, 8 says, The Lord, walking in every way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name your fame, your renown are the desire of our hearts. And that was David's heart. Now let me ask you, what's the desire of your heart? When people zoom in on your life, what do they see you living for? That's scene number two. Now scene number one, that's the call of David. Now scene number two, that's the character of David. Now scene number three, what we're going to see is a picture of Jesus because every single story in the Bible points to Jesus. This is a Jesus book. Now 1 Samuel chapter 17, I got eight verses, 50 through 58. Here we go. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword. He drew it from his sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. They turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward. Because when the big enemy is defeated, now you're free to fight. Now you're free to fight. And they surged forward with a shout. And they pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead was strewn along the Shamaram road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head. That's a heavy head. He took, he took Goliath's head and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put the Philistine's weapon in his own tent. And so watched David going out to meet the Philistine. He said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? And Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. I don't know who he is. The true king, the king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. With David still holding the Philistine's head, Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I'm the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. He wasn't the only son born in Bethlehem. Listen, David ain't the only son born in Bethlehem. What do we learn? Well, listen, you see the call of David. You see the character of David. And in three, we see the champion we need. What does this have to do with Jesus? What does this have to do with Jesus? This story isn't about David. This story is about Jesus. This is a Jesus story. Jesus is on every single page. I heard a pastor say one time, he said, hey, he said, if you ain't got red letters in your Bible, throw it in the trash can. Well, let me tell you something. That's wrong because the, the Word of God is black and white and red all over. 
Because Jesus is God. And every single word comes from the mouth of God. And ain't no black scriptures no less important than red scriptures. And listen to me, you can cut that Bible of yours on any page. It'll bleed red. It'll bleed red. It points to Jesus. This is a Jesus story. Well, what do we see? Well, A, we see a Savior was needed. A Savior was needed. There's a vicious enemy. And Goliath is a picture of Satan. And Goliath is a picture of sin, of your sin, and of my sin. Now listen to me. You need to know who you are in the story. You are not David fighting your Goliath. You are Saul being redeemed by your David. We are the Israelites cowered down in the background. David is a picture of Jesus. You are no match for Goliath. And you are no match for sin in your life. This is why the gospel doesn't teach try harder. This is why the Christianity is different from every other religion. Because Christianity screams, you cannot do this on your own. You can't fix the problem. We are the problem. That's the problem. We need somebody outside of us. We need a savior. In the same way the Israelites needed David, we need Jesus. And listen to me, a Savior was needed. But write this down, B, a son was sent. A son was sent. He said, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse, of Bethlehem. And Jesus is our better David. Listen to me, he was a sanctified son. David, anointed by a prophet, sent by God. Jesus, affirmed by God, baptized by John the Baptist. And God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He's a sanctified son. He's a sent son. David was sent by his father with a bag of bread. Jesus was sent by his father to be the bread of life. And he's a sanctified son. He's a sent son. He's a scorned son because David was rejected by his brothers on a hill. And Jesus came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. He's a sanctified son. He's a sent son. He's a scorned son. And he's a saving son. One man won the war. One man won the war. And David picked up five smooth stones. And Jesus uses five sheer letters. G-R-A-C-E. Grace. One man wins the war. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. A Savior was needed. B, a son was sent. But C, an enemy was defeated. And David cut off the head of Goliath. And Jesus crushed the head of a serpent, Genesis 3, 15. And because Jesus won the war, we have a living hope. We have a living hope. You can't fight your sin. You can't fight Goliath, but Jesus has done that for you. And because he's done that for you, now you have a living hope to fight smaller giants in your life. It says this, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. The shadow of the valley of death. There was a son and his daughter. They're riding in a car after a funeral. And the daughter looked up to her dad. She said, what did that pastor mean? The shadow of death. By that time, a big truck was coming down the road and a big old shadow. And he said, hey, honey, would you rather get hit by that big truck or hit by that shadow? She said, well, Dad, I'd rather get hit by that shadow. He said, Jesus was hit by the big truck so you could be hit by the shadow. 
That's what Jesus has done. There's another dad and his son riding in a car. And a bee got in the car. And a bee was going around the car. And the son was terrified, just panicked. That dad grabbed that bumblebee. And he held it in his hand for a minute. And then he let it back go and it started flying again. And that son started panicking again. But then that daddy reached back there and opened up his hand. And he had the stinger in his hand. He said, I took the stinger out. That's what Jesus did. Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your sting? Because he has fought death, hell, and the grave. I got a living hope. And what am I scared of? Huh? Am I scared to die? Absolutely not. I told you a while ago, the best thing about heaven, God put in me. And I got a living hope. Cancer, what are you to Jesus? Now listen to me. What giants are you facing? Is it storms? I know a God who can quiet them. Is it suffering? I know a God who can heal it. Is it sin? I know a God who overcomes it. And now, not only do we have hope to fight lesser giants in this world because we know he fights for us, but now we have a hunger to get into the fight. To get into the fight. A a, a pastor was preaching on spiritual warfare. A man in the audience stood up and he said, I'm not scared of Satan. That pastor looked at him and said, that ain't the question. The question is, Satan's scared of you. Does he know your name? Do you cause any problems spiritually? Are you living on mission? Or are we coasting? Listen, David would tell you, suit up. Suit up. The reason we ain't winning the battle is because we're not in it. David would tell you, you put on the armor of God, and you fight in the name of Jesus, and you live for God's glory. I want to fight a little bit. I want to shake the gates of hell a little bit. I want to fast and pray. I want to see people healed. I want to preach until I can't preach no more until the day I die. I want to make disciples. I want to see people come to life. I'm tired of coasting. That's why I'm passionate the way I am. I want to see God move in this place. And now we have the option of eternal life. Because this is a salvation story. This is a salvation story. That's what this is. David saved the day. Jesus saves our souls. David became a king. Jesus Christ is king. And listen, what's the difference of David and Jesus? Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. And sin left a crimson stain. He washes me white as snow. The best way to end a movie to end a story is to go back to the beginning and here's what it says in 16.7 but the Lord said to Samuel don't consider his appearance and his height I've rejected him the Lord does not look at the things people look at people look on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart what's going to get you into heaven I will surely tell you, you can't work hard enough. You won't pray big enough. You won't read long enough. You can't live good enough. I wouldn't bank on the best five minutes of my life to get me into heaven. But let me tell you, you don't fight for victory. Victory's won. You receive it and you fight from it. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning his precious blood atoning and I repented of my sin and won the victory 
Listen, repentance is an invitation, and God died for you. You listen to me for you. And he doesn't say, you go live better. He says, you can't. I died for you. Now, you get in here. You get your pride and you get in here. You get your porn and get in here. You get your problems, your addictions, you get in here. I'm tired of living, listen, an unvictorious life on my own. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus, and I want him to save my soul. And that's what I would tell you to do. You give your life to Jesus, and then you tell somebody about it. And you get baptized. And listen, you put your faith in Christ. He'll make you a new creation. He'll change your life. He'll change your life. I want to pray for us. God, we love you. God, we thank you that you have won the victory. God, we don't fight for it. You defeated it. That's why you came. God, help us to be hearts of servants. Like David's heart. God, help us to live for your glory. God, help us to be bold in our faith. Help us to live on mission and make disciples and stop coming to church and start being the church in the world. God, we love you and we thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.